This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullen. February is American Heart Month. And while we're likely to think about love and Valentine's Day when we envision hearts, today we are going to learn a bit about heart health, heart disease, and Lori Ann Wood's divine detour. Lori Ann was young and healthy when she ended up in critical care with a heart failure diagnosis and only a few months to live. What happened? Was God listening? How could this be? Those are a few of the questions Lori Ann was asking during that season. We dive into that season of her life, the healing and reoccurrence she experienced, and how the family of God interceded on her behalf when she had no words. If our conversation resonates with you, will you share it with a friend? So many families experience the impact of heart disease, and this could serve as the encouragement they need today. Good afternoon, Lorianne. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Amber. I always enjoy these afternoon conversations. I'm a little more awake, a little more (laughs) in the groove of my day, and so Um, Everyone who listens here knows that I begin my show with just asking my guests a little bit about their journey with Jesus. When did you come to know him? Uh, Just a little bit of that early faith walk. You know, I think my faith journey began probably like a lot of other people. Um, It began earlier than even my earliest memory. Mm. I, you know, I don't remember a time when I didn't believe. That's such a gift. Yes. And I I think we take that for granted. Mm -hmm. I grew up in church. Uh, I knew about God as pretty much as early as I knew about my own family. Because of that, I I raised my children in church. I led ministries. I taught Bible classes. My husband and I uh, taught in a Mexico mission trip, summer trip for 10 straight summers. But something happened about that time My children were getting a little bit older. Something happened to me about that time that really rattled my faith and caused me to dig deeper into it. Well, and isn't that the story a lot of times with people who have grown up in the faith? I was talking to a previous guest, Rachel Joy Welcher. She talks about that. Like, I mean, she had just always had this robust faith, a family who were very much grounded in the word and they lived it at home and in all areas of their life. And it wasn't until, you know, her marriage was really rocked that she began to say, okay, do I really believe these things? Like now is when the going gets tough, right? Right. So true. And that's the experience we're going to talk about. Um, what did happen to you in 2015? Will you share a little bit of that experience with us? What happened and kind of how your faith was uh, tested and challenged a bit? Wow. It has been seven years ago, which is hard for me to believe, Mm -hmm. but late 2015, near the end of the year, to take it one step back a little bit, I had a medical evaluation and it was one of those evaluations that you have that 
assesses your overall health and they at, they take your blood pressure and all, you know, they take blood, do all the tests. And I was told at that time that I had less than 3% chance of ever developing heart disease because all my numbers were so good. I had low blood pressure. I had low cholesterol. I exercised. I was a healthy person. I had no family history. That's what I was going to ask. Did you have family history? <laughs> no, none. And I, you know, I didn't have any lifestyle risk factors either. And so mm. I was a good bet. You know, if you were making a bet, I was a good bet right. at that point. But then three weeks later, I found myself diagnosed with end-stage heart failure. And at this point, still an unknown cause. Wow. Um, I was, yeah, a totally broadsided. I felt like I kind of had the flu. I was draggy. I wasn't like laid out flat in bed or anything. I was just not feeling myself. I thought maybe mm -hmm. this might be pneumonia. I haven't ever had pneumonia. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe this is it. So I went to convenient care. My children were coming home that week. It was actually the week of Thanksgiving. So I, I was running around doing all these things. I went to convenient care on Sunday before Thanksgiving and I was given an inhaler and then I wasn't getting any better. So then Wednesday, I went back to convenient care the day before Thanksgiving, and I was given an antibiotic. Mm. And, you know, to be fair to them, they didn't have the equipment and right. the depth to test the way they should have. I should have gone to my doctor, but I was trying to shortcut it. Then the day after Thanksgiving, I finally went in to see my PCP. And the words that he told me I knew were going to be significant one way or another but he said, he listened to my heart and looked at a few other things. And he said, if we're lucky, this is pneumonia. Oh, And yeah, I looked at my husband and I said, hmm, do they put people in the hospital for pneumonia these days? We didn't know. Right. And when you don't have medical I, events, you don't know. No. And I had never been in the hospital outside of childbirth. So this was all so new to me. And, but my PCP immediately took a chest x-ray and he discovered that I had an extremely enlarged heart. My heart was functioning at about 6% at that point. Wow. And I had no idea, but I, I was direct admitted into my local cardiac ICU. And I spent a couple of weeks there it was very critical. I had defibrillator pads stuck to my chest and the crash cart was permanently stationed outside my room door. And we didn't get a good prognosis. We, we met a cardiologist for the first time and they didn't think that I would leave the hospital based on the shape that my heart was in. And then after two weeks, I did leave the hospital. They said, okay, plan on 90 days. And then I got past 90 days and they said maybe six months. And once I made it live? past, yes, that was the prognosis based on the shape that my heart was in at that point. And then eventually they said five years and that was about seven years ago, but it was kind of a rough, rough, rocky time. I was flown to Cleveland clinic and I became my my doctor's most critical patient for almost a year and a half. And she told me later, um, she actually wrote the foreword to my book, but she told me later that mine was the largest heart she'd ever seen. 
how does that happen in three weeks time? Now I know they, they had not taken images of your heart at this regular physical. So I get right. that, but as far as in the vitals and everything and, and vitals can don't always tell the whole story. Like I get that as well. But what did in, you know, now I just have all these questions that don't even have anything to do with faith. So we're going to get to the faith no. part. But now I'm like, what did yeah. end up happening in that three week period? Because you were in Cleveland Clinic. Were you admitted there for that 16 months? No, I was flying back and forth every okay. three or four months. I They let me go with a, for nine months, I wore an external a life vest defibrillator. That's just a vest you wear. That's basically a that defibrillates your heart if it stops. Mm -hmm. And then I got implanted with an internal one. So I have an internal pacemaker defibrillator now, but you know, I can look back at that and, and say, wow, heart failure really snuck up on me. But Mm. if I'm being honest and we still don't know the cause, it might've been a virus. It might've been something genetic that they haven't been able to pinpoint yet. Yeah. We don't know, but it doesn't really change the course of my treatment. So we don't spend a whole lot of time trying to right. figure it out. I do though, because yeah. I, I know, but I can look back and see that at least 10 years before my diagnosis, mm. I had symptoms that I didn't recognize. I had really an inability, I'd say, to exercise. I, and I just said, oh, I'm out of shape. I need to get in better shape. My husband runs marathons. My children are in sports. I'm the one out of shape. Oh, But it was bigger than that. And I just kind of brushed that off. I had difficulty with inclines, especially. That was the biggest thing. Any staircase, a mountain, any sort of thing that we would go up an incline, I would feel it and have to stay behind from the whole family. And We were just, you know, I'd have a rapid heart rate at weird Mm. times. And because I didn't think I had any heart, heart disease issues, risk factors. Yeah. I didn't think it was my heart. I thought it had to be something else. It was probably anxiety, something else that couldn't be heart related. And it's heartbreaking to look back now and say, I should have known that. But I just passed it off as getting older. I'm not in shape. I need to, you know, take better care of myself, maybe rest more. But it never was something that hit my radar as this is a serious health issue. Well, I think that's a hard thing, though, coming from a person who does have two parents with very low ejection fractions and, um, for those who don't know what ejection fraction is, it's just how much blood you're oxygenated blood that your heart is pumping. It's yeah. So anyways, you can look back at my dad and my sister will beat herself up because we're both healthcare providers. She's a physical therapist. It's what I did in my previous life, quote unquote. Um, my mom is a nurse and, you know, he had headaches and things, but he's also a grinder. You know, he'll just get it done and get it done and not say a whole lot about what's going on with his body. But we all say like, oh my gosh, why didn't we have somebody check his heart? Because it did, it went on for years. Right. And so I think it can be hard because you also don't want to be the, again, quote unquote, hypochondriac, where every time you have some sign of something, you're running to the doctor. So what would you say to people now? Like, how do you make that decision, right? Like, what are the ways to be proactive in your treatment of heart disease? 
Well, one thing I learned, I it, I was trained at Mayo to be a community educator for Women Heart, which is a national organization that supports women with heart disease. And one of the things that I learned that really stuck out at the beginning was that every year heart disease kills more people mm-hmm. than all forms of cancer combined. Wow. And I don't want to discount cancer because it's a horrible disease right. and I've lost people in my family and friends. But I think we discount heart failure and heart disease in general. I think we think it's something that we can avoid Mm. if we're doing everything right. And the reality of it is you can reduce your risk of it by living, making good lifestyle choices and good health choices, but you can't avoid all of it. And I learned too, that the only self-exam for heart disease Mm. is awareness. So just to know that something's not going on with you the way it normally does and, and to listen to the people around you, I had ignored my husband for so long, for so many years when we're trying to hike and climb up a little bit of an incline, he's, he'd say, you need to really get this checked out or we used to uh, have a orientation at our high school and it's a two or three level high school. And the parents went on orientation day with the kids. And I remember even with my first child, that staircase going up and all the other parents could go up without a problem. And they, some of them were older than me. Some of them were a lot heavier than me. Some of them, mm-hmm. but they all they all made it up fine. And I had to stop two or three times on the staircase. Oh wow! Just to make it up. And even then, it never occurred to me that it could be something so much more serious than what I was passing it off as. Right. And if you're thinking there's something that doesn't quite feel right, mention it in in your annual physical. Even if you're just going in, you know, to get the overall physical that you always get, mention it then mm-hmm. and just get medical ears on it because, you know, heart failure in particular and I think heart disease in general has so much better an outcome if it's discovered earlier. Mm. And so many diseases are like that. Right. You know, even if you just want to message your doctor, so many doctors and hospitals now have where you can message them. Yes. So shoot a little message to them and ask them, should I be worried about this? Maybe they'll run a test the next time you're in there doing something else. And maybe it won't be a big deal, but at least you won't be like me thinking, why did I ignore that for Mm -hmm. so many years? Well, and that's a good word for me, really, because for years I didn't go in and have my heart checked because my I kept having like racing heart and some issues when I was running. And uh, and yes, things did end up being OK, but it was like three or four years before I went in. And I mean, you know, it's like, why do we wait? Right. Like what it doesn't if it's not going away, go. And don't wait right. for years and years. You know, I'm preaching to the choir here. But my sister, she had to have a hole in her heart closed up when she was in her 30s. And so they just kept thinking like, you know, this is a genetic type thing. Like you need to go, you need to go, you need to go. So I finally went and there was kind of a little, if I go do this, my husband's going to go do this. And he still hasn't gone and done this. So I'm going <laughs> to make him listen to this episode and be like, remember what you said and you still haven't gone. So anyways, I do though. Um, 
I also want to acknowledge that, I mean, it's a silent disease. And so, you know, I've had Erica Baldwin on the show before that has um, talked about her silent disease. And I think that sometimes is the reason why we ignore it, right? And we give cancer more, again, it deserves it, but it's not, it's not bigger than heart disease. I think sometimes you, when you can't see it, uh, Mm -hmm. that holds us back. And I don't know if you have anything really to say to that, but. Yes, that's. So very true when we don't, when it's not something that is right in your face, when it's an invisible, silent situation that you're dealing with internally, and especially when you're, you've got kids at home or you have a job, it's just so easy to push that down and say, look at me, I look great. Because Mm -hmm. even when I was admitted to the hospital and my heart was functioning at 6%, all the nurses were like, you look so healthy. You look so good. So you can't really go by that. You're really the only one other than, like I said, people that love you and know you best also have your best interest at heart. And so just listen to them. If it's, you know, like with your husband, if nothing else, just to get them off your back, but get get in there. (laughs) That's right. That's right. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Well, let's shift a little bit towards the faith aspect of it. During this time, when you're going back and forth the Cleveland Clinic and you're having to wear, I mean, it, it turns from an invisible illness to now everybody can see I have an outside jacket that I'm wearing. What were some of those moments of wrestling like for you, what shifted in your walk with Jesus as you're walking through, oh my goodness, this could be the end of my life. Those 16 months, I basically had no improvement. I was on extremely high levels of medication, higher than most of the doctors were comfortable with. I wore this defibrillator. I revamped my diet and got rid of sodium and all the things that I was supposed to do. And I didn't improve. And then, well, let me, let me talk about what happened during that time, during that 16 months, I spiritually felt like I was abandoned by God. Mm -hmm. I felt like he wasn't listening to me. He wasn't listening to all the prayer warriors that were praying for me. And some of them were praying around the clock because they initially said, you won't leave the hospital. Yeah. And I still have those lists where people were getting up in the middle of the night and praying. Mm. And I, I'm like, this is your chance, God, to show how prayer works. And I wasn't getting anything. So I felt 
like he was giving me the silent treatment. So I gave him the silent treatment right back. Mm. To be honest, I, I had a hard time praying. I had a hard time really digging deep into my faith and finding that stability that I wanted to find. It was a hard time. And because of that, and I have a resource that if anyone's interested that I wrote during that time, that's called five prayers and promises when you can't talk to God. Hmm. And it's, it was during that time that I just had a very difficult time talking to God, but thankfully, and I think this is what the body of Christ will do. They rallied around me and they were my prayers when I couldn't pray. Yeah. And that was a gift that I still have those prayer chains and I they're framed. And I just don't ever want to forget that gift because we all run into those times when it's like when we're in high school and we give our parents the silent treatment. We do that. But what I learned through that is that I couldn't give God the silent treatment for very long because we had too much history. Mm-hmm. And I knew too much about him. And it's just like with my parents, I came back around and I did come back around, but it was a hard time during those 16 months where nothing was happening. Yeah. Well, it's when you say that I interviewed this morning, Tyler Staten, which is he's a pastor out in Seattle and something that he writes in his book that I actually just have right here says to pray is to risk trusting someone who might let you down to pray is to get our hopes up. And we've learned to avoid that. So we avoid prayer. There's more to that. But um, he goes on to talk about that's why early on in your walk with Christ, and as you develop a walk with Jesus, you pray to him out of intimacy, not just wanting something from him. And that development of intimacy with Christ is what we long for, is what we miss when we can't pray anymore. And so, yes, it's also the character of God and all of that. But if you don't have that intimacy with him, I think it's easier to say when he's not answering, I'm walking away and I'm not coming back, but you knew him. So it's mm-hmm. like, I can't stay away any longer. Like like Peter says, Jesus, where would I go? Exactly. Yes. So tell me your ejection fraction did end up being completely restored, which is just truly miraculous. Tell us what happened during that time. I don't know. I mean, I don't even know what question to ask about that. I just know how cool that is. A lot of other people are probably like, what are you even talking about? That 16 month silent period ended. And when I say 16 months, it was 16 months to the day that Mm. I first saw the word heart failure on my medical record. I came down with a pretty severe case of appendicitis and just something else to add to the medical (laughs) record at that point. (laughs) But I knew I had to get my appendix out. Everybody knew that that was what needed to happen, but no one wanted to touch me because my heart was functioning at such a low level. So we waited for a while and then finally they said, it's got to come out. So they did an echocardiogram, which is the main test that determines your heart function. And they discovered that my heart function was near normal on that day. And so they went ahead and took my appendix out and nobody cared about the appendix and everybody was (laughs) excited about the heart. Yeah. But it was something that I didn't expect. And it was something that honestly, I think I'd given up on at that point. 
after 16 months. In in my mind, I had probably given up. And just to finish the loop, I thought that was the end of my story. I thought my story was one of miraculous healing and God's provision. And I was going to tell that story for the rest of my life. And I had been taken through this and whoo, glad that's over. Oh yeah. We always think the one and done, don't we? (laughs) I've suffered. My suffering's over. (laughs) I fell hard for it this time, but because I had that normal heart function, but then three years ago, my heart function dropped and I was in active heart failure again. Mm. So what I have learned through that process is that heart failure is a chronic progressive disease. Mm -hmm. And with medical science, for most people, they can manage the symptoms pretty well with devices and medication and lifestyle changes. For some people, they can slow down the progression But ultimately, heart failure goes in one direction. And I was on that one direction. Now, while you're going down, you can have some bumps up and Mm. some spikes, but overall, your trajectory is down. And so I'm now down, but I'm holding at this lower plateau Mm -hmm. and considered to be a high functioning heart failure patient. And for that, I'm very, very grateful and have just learned so much. And my life has just taken turns that I never would have imagined. Yeah. Well, I mean, and one of those is writing, right? And so you are going to be releasing, what is the release date? It is February 21st, 2023. A book called Divine Detour. And you're in that book, you're exploring questions of, worry and doubt and fear. And so maybe pick one of those, dig into it a little bit. You know, how did your personal wrestling um, impact how you Mm -hmm. view worry, doubt and fear, and really what you hope the readers will take away from it? This book that I have, and it's the title's Divine Detour. The subtitle is The Path You'd Never Choose Can Lead to the Faith You've Always Wanted. And I found, and although the book is born of this diagnosis and the journey through that ups and downs, it's not primarily about the medical events. Mm. It's really designed to be a guide to help other people confront what I discovered were the three most important questions that every life is going to answer one way or another they always come up. These questions always seem to pop up when we find ourselves on a detour because we're going along fine. We're on the main road. We're on the planned route. And then because of no choice of our own, we get shoved over onto a detour and it's not the smoothest road. It's not the most direct path to where we wanted to go. There's some inconveniences and some pain going on during those detours. And I think that same thing happened with Jesus in the desert. And those are the, that's how the book came about. Is it, I discovered that the questions that I was asking were the ones that Jesus had to face when he was in the desert on his own detour. Hmm. Let me just pick, like you suggested, just one question. And I think this one, the, the second question in the book is one of doubt. And I think this is one that most people can relate to whether they're on a detour yet or not. 
And it's when, if you remember in Matthew 4, when Jesus was led into the desert and he confronted the enemy, one of the things the enemy said, the second thing he said was, throw yourself down from here and the angels will protect you. And what Jesus as a man had to hear is that a good God would not let his child suffer. He Mm. will save you from harm. If your God is good, you're not going to strike your head against that stone. And as believers, we run head first into this question of doubt. And the question is, is God always good? Is he always good? Because what's happening to me right now doesn't feel like love. It doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And you know, does my current pain indicate God's level of care for me? Is there a correlation there? Right. And this, this God I've followed all my life, does he really love me individually? Does he care? And that is God always good question is one, I, maybe the one that I struggled with the most because I, I can believe easily that God is all powerful, that he's in control. But the one about always watching out for singular me in the mm-hmm. sea of humanity is a question that I struggled with. And what I learned, and I looked at things like protection and resilience and vulnerability, and I learned that God doesn't promise that we won't experience the worst that this world Mm -hmm. has to offer. But when we do, he promises that we won't be alone. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I explored through that. And the book is a book of 40 essays. And each essay is a standalone examination of one part of one of these life questions. And so It's designed to take the reader to that question. I've got a lot of stories in there that anything that God does, it turns out everyone has these stories that sound a lot lot like that. And it's just relatable things that have happened to me, but also some of the really raw journal entries that I made when things weren't going so good, Um, just to bring the reader along on the journey a little bit. Well, when your world was falling apart, um, you've learned, like you said, that questions, you know, they, they didn't destroy your faith. And I love that because Mm -hmm. I have spoken so much to people about God wants our honesty. He already knows, like he is not a God that is far off from our questions and our honesty and our longing and our praises and all of the things, all of it. And so you learned that, you know, it didn't destroy you. Those questions, he didn't strike you down, but instead you were strengthened and you um, entered into probably closer intimacy with him in the long run, right? It all doesn't happen overnight. But with that said, why are questions so important to our faith journey with Jesus? Questions like you said, they really strengthen your faith because they force you to choose God again and again and again. You have to consider him Mm -hmm. again and again and again. And it's like re-upping your belief every Mm -hmm. time you have a question. You know, Frederick Buechner is one of my heroes in writing. And though he passed away this year, and I I never Mm -hmm. have met him or anything like that, but 
he had a quote that really inspired a lot of my writing and this book. And he said that questions are the ants in the pants of faith, Ooh. which I, I love that because they're not, you know, they're not the bullet that ends faith. We like to think that the opposite of faith is doubt or mm-hmm. questioning, right? but the opposite of faith is indifference. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Yes. If we put God up on a shelf and say, I'm done with you and walk away, you're done. But if you're questioning, if you're poking and prodding and questioning and wrestling, you get stronger. That's what Mm -hmm. happens when you wrestle. And our faith becomes more defined. It becomes clearer and it becomes more real and practical the more we wrestle with it. So questions, I think, are something that get a a bad rap. And maybe we discourage them. I I can look back now as a mom, and maybe I discouraged questions when my kids were growing up about Mm. certain things that I wished I wouldn't have. So it's so much of what we learn, we learn through questions. And we just have to bring them out and let them breathe and let them strengthen our faith and not run away from them. Hmm, Absolutely. Well, let's close with this. Um, What encouragement would you offer someone who is walking through their own personal desert right now? One of the scriptures that kind of landed in my lap or popped into my head or laid open in my Bible, as scriptures often do, during this time was John 13, seven, and it's Jesus was getting ready to wash the disciples feet. And he said, you do not understand now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Mm. He knew at that point that he, he was facing something really hard, but he also knew that his disciples were getting ready to go into a desert of their own. Yeah. He wanted them to know that just because some things are not understandable doesn't negate the fact that he's God. Hmm. And that is that to me was so powerful because I'm I'm just kind of a concrete thinker. I am reasonable and rational. And sometimes faith is hard for me just because of that. So I had to really come at that in a different way and say that, you know, questions are okay. Because it doesn't mean that God's not good. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that he's not in control. It just means that I'm not understanding it right now. Yeah. So we all are going to end up on a detour when you think about it. Nobody's, no one is going to have their life turn out exactly like they'd planned. Uh, It might not be a health detour. It might be the loss of a child or divorce or bankruptcy, or loss of a dream. Mm-hmm. And it all brings these questions up when we face that detour. And it, and it creates doubt because we mm-hmm. feel like he might have abandoned us on that detour and we might be all alone. But I would say if you find yourself, in, or maybe I should say when you find yourself on a detour, consider that maybe God has something more for you than just a predictable life. He might have something more for you. Yeah. So I would hope that, you know, knowing that we all have detours, we all are going to get pushed off that main route, the expected, what we planned. 
that we don't back away from the questions. We keep going, keep asking those questions because that is what's going to keep your faith alive Mm. when you're on that detour. And I've learned that as I'm asking those questions, I'm drawn closer to God. And I've learned that this God we serve is a God who desperately wants to keep the conversation going with Absolutely. us. And questions will help you do that. Mm, absolutely. I love that. Well, Laurieann, thank you so much. Um, Divine Detour, I'm sure will be available at all the places, Amazon and anywhere else people buy books. But if someone wants to connect with you, where can they best do that? Yes, my website is laurieannwood.com. And if you want the book, it's laurieannwood.com slash books. And if you're interested in my free resource, it's laurieannwood.com slash hope. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. More than likely, you or your family member or a close friend has heart disease. Will you share this conversation with them as an encouragement today? And Laurieann's book, the Divine Detour is linked at graceenoughpodcast.com slash heart. Purchasing through that link provides a small affiliate payout to Grace Enough at no cost to you. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.